0: episode. Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and the fourth episode of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell. I'm your host for this podcast. I'm also the managing editor of Golf Course Industry. This month, if you have not already checked out the February issue, there are some great features, there are some great columns. The late great Pete Dye is on the cover. We have already talked about Pete Dye, a fair bit, and you can never talk about Pete Dye too much. But I did talk with Brad Klein, our new columnist, about Pete Dye and his effect on the industry last month in Beyond the Page. Guy has actually dedicated the last two episodes of the Tartan Talks podcast to Pete Dye. So while Pete Dye is on our cover, we're going to actually go elsewhere in the magazine this month. There's a great story by Lee Carr about turf education, and it's not education. Once you're in the industry, it's the education you receive on your way up as you're a TURF student. I talked with Ashley Wilkinson of Horry Georgetown Technical College outside Myrtle Beach there in Conway, South Carolina. Great conversation, and that's coming up after the break. Uh, We talk about the differences between two- and four-year schools, the value of being shovel-ready once you get your degree, and... Maybe taking tests at noon after you wake up at 3:20 in the morning to go work on the course. Fantastic conversation with Ashley. I'm also joined this month by Matthew Wharton, our back page columnist. Uh, he is of Carolina Golf Club. and during a recent trip recent last year to St. Andrews, he actually wound up playing off a mat. And it is a big thing over in parts of Europe to protect the turf in the winter. And while he probably won't be able to get his membership to buy into a similar plan down in North Carolina, and while you, the listener, will probably not be able to get your players or your members to buy into a similar plan wherever you are, it is an interesting question to ask, could we implement winter play for Matt's? So Matthew and I talk about that for a little bit, and he also gives you some podcast recommendations. If you have listened to all of the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network, spend some time with some other podcasts. He listens to only podcasts about the great game of golf. So those conversations are coming up next. This is the fourth episode that I have used the intro music that you're about to hear, and I have yet to credit the friend who wrote it. Uh, It is written by my friend, Scott Dieter. Uh, If you are in Northeast Ohio and you need a... uh, dj DJed, he is professionally DJ pre-K. He can also write music. But Scott Dieter, uh, finally getting the credit Four episodes in. Ashley Wilkinson, up next, after the break. My first guest today is a familiar name if you live down in the Carolinas and South Carolina specifically, Ashley Wilkinson, professor for golf course uh, and sports turf management at uh, Ori Georgetown Technical College. That is in Conway, South Carolina. Maybe you saw him at the Carolinas show, Carolinas GCSA show, Uh, also quoted at fair length in the February issue in a great story by Lee Carr, Turf Education Learning is Universal But education is personal, and it deals not so much with education once you're in the industry, but education on your way into the industry when you are a TERF student. Ashley, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm well. Thank you very much for having me today.
0: Yeah. So this story, I loved it, and it got a lot of great feedback on social media. Folks are reading it. Folks are really taking it to heart. Uh, You... Down in South Carolina at ori Georgetown, great school, great program a two year technical college um and you kind of make the point in the story a few times that you know this might be the way to go for a lot of students that four year college experience just is not as prevalent and as prominent as it once was that's well,
1: right, but if we go back in the early days of it all it um you know we can go back to the the uh, usga creating the green section because we had no education right so we're building golf courses in the united states and they're where the the uh, golden age architects understand to find a sandy loam soil but as we migrate this across the country the great soils that they found in long island or other places uh, philadelphia right we're building courses in georgia and Carolina and, and these are harder to find these types of soils so if we go coast to coast we want this as a game of golf spread we needed more education the USDA hit that bill and still does obviously but uh, creating that green section to try to help us come up with consistent ideas uh, we then migrated to later where we started having two-year programs like Gory Georgetown that was in 1971 as a certificate it became a associates degree in, in 72 uh penn state michigan state also had two and then four-year programs uh so uh, as as it grew and we saw the the progression of golf with with the baby boomers and, and the monies that came in and development suburban golf in the 80s and 90s and on in the 2000s uh we we saw an explosion of people like myself who in the uh, early 90s got into this game and Uh, and you tried to find the best education and and it was those two-year programs later uh, the four-year program started many of them created a turf program it was originally an agronomy uh, that maybe had some some turf and soils uh, in it but of course you know we're talking about crops versus uh, turf grass in much of agronomy studies so it's sort of went into the four-year programs, but if you look at the amazing success of a Penn State or Michigan State and their old two-year programs in a Lake City and even over Georgetown, we think, uh, for many years, then the four-year schools came around, but now we're seeing uh, the the shift, I think, back towards some two-year and alternate education resources because, my goodness, the four-year schools are charging just so doggone much. Uh, So to to try to do it um, a little more locally, if it's possible, uh, or regionally for some of these two-year tech programs, I think is a great resource in trying to avoid what could be tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, And and you look at the return on investment of some of what we're seeing with some of the four-year schools and even the difficulty to get into some of these schools uh, in, in a field where... We are clamoring for new blood to come take over. Uh, there are so many assistance positions that are open, and, and we need to fill these positions, the mechanics positions. My goodness, they're everywhere. Uh, I wish I could turn a wrench because I could probably retire from teaching tomorrow. Uh, so there's uh, all these opportunities. But uh, uh, So two-year schools are filling the void. Uh, I, I was told just this week that uh, Wisconsin, I believe, may be opening a two-year program. Uh, but that's probably in light of many of these larger land grants having difficulty wooing four-year students uh, and the difficulty with getting in to be a golf course superintendent versus, say, uh, you know, a pre-med or pre-law or an engineering major where a lot of these schools are almost squeezing on their turf programs and, and ag programs in general. So, um, I think we're going to see, I hope we continue to see more young people and old people, whoever, get into our business. Uh, I think that um, uh, the turf, the the two-year programs, uh, and and I think we may see online, uh, we see Penn State being successful with it. We are resisting it right now, but we have such an amazing partnership in town with so many golf courses and outstanding superintendents that, we feel like you come here to get a true hands-on, which, which I think helps. But uh, I can see more of the online just because we've got to reach people to get them educated to then be our next assistant superintendents, or, or else we're going to have a vacuum in another you know, 10, 15 years.
0: Before I get to the next question, first off, fantastic overview uh, and a lot to unpack there. But you had mentioned right before we started talking on the air that – you're running on very little sleep, that you woke up at 3.20 this morning and that you were worried your answers wouldn't be coherent. And that was about as coherent an overview of the whole uh, situation in terms of of turf education these days that that I've heard in several months. So I don't think you're too tired. I'm
1: getting too much sleep in the office. (laughs) If anybody's listening, I have a dozen students with me. We're at Bay Hill this week. But I'm still preparing a test that I'm going to give to these young men who are here, and the other ones back home are going to get this test later and proctored by one of our other faculty. But we think it's very important to try to get as many touches around as many industry people as I can. So to be here in Arnie's backyard, invited to help uh, maintain this course for the week and see how they do it. They're overseeded. We are overseeded at Myrtle Beach at most places. So it sort of fits into what it be a great learning experience uh, around a uh, magnificent staff that Chris Flynn here at Bay Hill is taking care of us so well. And so it's, um, uh, but we help a lot of other events as well as much as we can around the country uh, because that's the it's this is a people business and we try to network and, and get hands on and and show them many things. So yeah, we're we're I'm raking bunkers this week and it's 3:20 in the morning, so it'll be. Uh, uh, on that drive and then the kicker that an old man like me didn't pay attention to is is daylight savings mm-hmm. on Sunday so that 320 is going to kind of be a 220 i think uh so, 4 uh,
0: 420 isn't it we we spring yeah, we, forward
1: we yeah, yeah, excuse me i'm sorry yeah so i'm losing an hour right so uh, uh i maybe the minute we get done with the afternoon assignments i may just just I just pass out there and <laughs> the, the first hall and stay <laughs> of the night I like Hogan, I'll just pull a newspaper on top of me so I can stay in
0: the bunker and make it faster. You, you said in the last couple minutes uh, both the terms young men and you described yourself as an old man. Now, I met Richard Petty earlier this year, and he describes everybody. He calls everybody young man or young woman uh, because when you're in, in your 80s, everybody is a young man to you. That's right. But one of the things with your program – and and the industry, really, uh, the turf education industry as a whole, is there is no blueprint. There's not 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds necessarily coming in. There are a lot of those, those young kids. But I remember when we met at the Carolina's GCSA show and the Ori Georgetown B team uh, won the Turf Bowl Cup. I think if not one, maybe two of those guys on the four-person team were in their early 30s. Um, I just saw on Twitter... Uh, very promising turf student at Ohio State who looks to be in at least his forties um and and that's one of the things is you were saying that you're proctoring this test to to these young men, but it's not just that traditional college experience uh student of eighteen nineteen twenty there's you know at any point in your career you can come into this uh and and do quite well it sounds like oh yeah oh
1: well uh, hey uh so i was i was the younger version of our normal student. I went to Horry Georgetown before finishing my bachelor's and master's and, and uh, uh, when I came here I basically kind of sort of maybe flunked out of two places And all right. And, but I loved working on the golf course until the light bulb went off and I think we get a lot of that with our other individuals. Uh, so many of our students, uh, I have a lot of them actually come with bachelor's or they may have enjoyed another institution somewhat too much and they've found us uh, so uh, we have um, our, yeah, the 18 19 year old can be the, the odd or student for us uh, we're I'd say we get a lot of 23 to 30 year old guys that um, I, but we have got some younger ones which is very encouraging so I love it when I see three and four or five young guys but if we're getting 25 or 30 guys a year uh, I would say that the average age is going to be in the mid-20s. Um, and it, it only makes sense. I, when I talk to so many of my friends and you talk about career shifts and changes, so a few of us are doing what we thought. It's, uh, uh, and my, my, young, my own young son who finished the program started at 18, and I think that's a great leg up for him. Uh, but so many other individuals, if you're going to do this for the rest of your life, you might as well do something you enjoy. So if you're not happy in the other career and all these other young, to me, they're young men, uh, come back uh, and are trying to find another avenue that puts them outside and puts them with that and the mentality that they want to have and not in the cubicle environment, um, we we see a lot of, a good bit of that. So uh, last year I had a very young group that came through, and this year the majority of my uh, group is somewhat older. So, it's each year can be fluid, and it's it's interesting to see how many students we get. But we're a non traditional school for sure. And, and I joke around saying we ought to call ourselves Second Chance You because so many of our folks, myself included, um, you weren't sure what you were doing, and you're, you're just young and told you're going to go to college. And the, the problem with that now is saying you're going to go to college. Well, okay, if that's 10000 a year, I can wake up and Thirty thousand dollars in debt, and not a step closer to what I thought. So, so um, trying to figure out the best avenue while you're uh, maturing is, is is the best thing. And if if we can facilitate some of that for the younger and the older individuals, um, and the males and the females that come through, it's a it's a wonderful to see so many different people come through our program as as I was speaking with the, the 12 young men that are with us here at Bay Hill this week, talking with the superintendent on the side and, you know, where these young men were from, and it was funny, only two of them were from the Myrtle Beach-Conway area. Another two of the 12 were from South Carolina, so there's four from the state of South Carolina. The other eight were from New York and Illinois and Virginia, uh, Tennessee, and parts all around, so. It was kind of surprising to see how many places they'd come from, uh, but it's, um, it's a, we, we can be a melting pot, and, and the location of Myrtle Beach can help that, that people come, they're working a golf course, they hated exercise science or political science or whatever it was, and they somehow find their way to Myrtle Beach and then become our students and, and uh, uh, move on towards some, in my 10th year, it's, I'm super proud to say that I have a number of young men that have become superintendents. So that's the ultimate payback is if a young man is a superintendent at 27 and I've had him come in at 35 years of age and become superintendents at 38. So it's just uh, that's the payout on my end to see so many of these different individuals come from all over, but yet they, they come together. They really buy in to our education what we try to do and then they go on and, and to see them start having the success is, is, is wonderful and, uh, an, an interesting representation of our, of our business to see our graduates. And some people think they must have been out 20 years and know that young man graduated a year ago. <laughs> so, and some, some of the young guys you think, oh, they're, they're green as could be, but they started working on the golf course at 16 and, and they, you know, 10 years into it at 26. So, uh, it's a, it's a unique business that we're in and how we all sort of have migrated to uh, the the opportunity to take a piece of property and try to make it better every day uh, when you leave.
0: And being on the course is such a big part of it. Your geographic location so close to Myrtle Beach helps you and, and helps the Ori Georgetown students. What is it? Is it over 90 or is it closer to 100% of students Are required to work on a course during their program uh, to the point where I don't think you have Friday classes, do you? So they can work all weekend.
1: That's right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's something that that, that's a nice unique feature that we we get to do. uh, Land grant schools may not offer that same flexibility, Uh, so we're we have a little bit more flexibility to do that. So yes, we are we're Monday through Thursday, and that allows Friday, Saturday, Sunday to get on the course. we do part of our curriculum. We require uh, at least one semester of work uh, during a semester. We also require another semester during the summer. So it's not one six-month internship, but it's, it gives us, I think, as faculty, a great opportunity to, to monitor you twice. So you know you may uh, stay at the same course all you know that whole time you're in Myrtle Beach. Many of our students work at one place during the school year and then go somewhere else uh, for an internship. I'd say about half of our students stay and half of our students don't stay. Um, but if those individuals that leave because they, maybe they're from New York and they want to intern in New York, um, it, it's, it's great because now they've learned strategies on our campus during school year. And then they learn that strategy back up in New York or, or Michigan or whatever wherever it is that they want to find their their job when they graduate. Uh, so it gives them two superintendents to, to uh, if they do that strategy to have excellent mentoring by, and it gives us as faculty a chance to watch them in two different environments to help facilitate their success and you know help find their strengths and weaknesses so when we go back to the second year uh, that we can get in the classroom and really get down and dirty with what we need to get better at. Um, but that's without the partnership of 90 golf courses and all the sports turf things on our camp and uh, our beach as well. We wouldn't be able to have that attitude. So, uh, you know, the only Georgetown was the program was created because there was a golf. <laughs> this is a golf beach. Uh, and, uh, and we still have that partnership with industry. It's, it's always going to be uh, – Myrtle Beach will always be tied to golf. And so our school is always going to be tied to golf course maintenance uh, because they're major contributors to the, the overall well-being of our, of our program. Uh, but, yes, it's, it's uh, the main – one of the main things that we and, – and it's one of the main things that we're about is to see hands-on work And that's another reason why I'm here this week and I'm with 12 uh, second year students and Charles Granger is planning on being at uh, uh, the players championship with, I guess, around 10 first year students next week. We're just switching places and trying to get these students to see as many strategies and and network with as many people as possible uh, so that when they get done, they've, uh, we've, we try to give them much more than the two years' worth of education and try to make sure that they get two years' worth of hands-on work so that when they, uh, when they graduate, they hit the ground running. And, and not trying to pull any punches with the four-year programs, uh, but it's, uh, I see it's, it can be more difficult, not because the students aren't wanting it, but it can be more difficult for those students at four-year turf programs to get down here to join us in something like this, uh, or to work uh, because of class schedules. So that's that's one area I think that some of we have a disconnect, and I don't think it's our turf grass agronomy soils professors. I think that's uh, a, a disconnect that our education system has. That uh, maybe uh, we're not uh, realizing the, the input that in-field experience has for these young people. So uh, it's great for four-year degree. Uh, I, I have one, <laughs> but um, if you are if, if getting that four-year degree makes it difficult to get you know anything more than a little summer here or maybe, maybe one summer of internship in four years, I just don't know how how shovel ready you are on day one. Um, and I'm not trying to it's not about I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to use that to pump up Ori Georgetown. I'm just It's me just pontificating on where I see some weaknesses. And when I meet I do so many tournaments throughout the summer I'll go sweat it out and meet students at other tournaments and places they're interning and work those with them as well. But when I meet other individuals and I try to listen to what What they're doing, I just think they're just not – they may be getting more class time, uh, and that's a huge part of our industry that we're not doing enough of. But I'm not sure they're also getting enough hands-on time. Um, And and that's – if we look at the future of our our superintendents, I guess I'm railing against uh, the same thing I talked in the other side of that in the article then. Um, we've got to find a way to push education, but uh, it still needs to be uh, with a strong mentor face somehow. uh, Because it's one thing to teach the theory, but when I can get these young guys and and get them in front of the machines or the fertility or the chemistries that they need to be uh, educated in, then I really see the light bulb. It's one thing to talk about fertilizer rates in the class. But when I get them out in the lab and put a spreader and watch them spill it, uh, I'm like, all right, there you go. You can't do that uh, again. <laughs> um, that's, that's the other part of education that uh, needs to be, uh, um, and it's going to be with the mentor relationship some, somehow. And generally that's going to be outside of the classroom uh, because we have less time with uh, with the young person than a superintendent might. I I uh, I, I get a lot of time in a turf program. I teach these young men probably more than they want to see me, uh, and that's that's good and bad. I know which ones need to kick in the tail. I know which ones need a pat in the back to keep going. That can be a tougher part of some of the four year programs. Um, is that you have so many wonderful specialists, but do you build a rapport with that person? Uh, so that's. Uh, And that could be, again, a downside to us. I don't have the same specialties that so many other experts have, but um, I I do get to try to uh, find out what best serves the young person while they're with us. And then being able to partner them with a good superintendent. And and not every young man or woman is a fit for every person. We all have different personalities. We try with so many courses – we try to, you know, match personalities so that we maximize their success while they're, while they're with us to try to get, um, get them comfortable with asking questions. They may not want to ask me, but they may be a heck of a hard worker and they may feel comfortable in the field asking their boss something that I said. So it's a it, – it, to, to really – Bring the next generation on. It's going to be uh, more emphasis to be be put on education, but the mentorship as well. Uh, There are so many wonderful mentors in our business, um, but we need to make sure that we're we're looking at where we're finding the rest. Uh, Just had a meeting this week with industry leaders in Myrtle Beach and talking about where where we're finding people for our program and where we're finding people that will be the next generation of managers throughout the Motor Beach Grand Strand. And and you're talking about, you know, which courses are providing initiatives to recruit young people. Uh, It was wonderful to hear one of the courses has eight or 10 uh, high schoolers, which is so difficult Mm -hmm. in many areas now to grab because it may just be liability insurance that gets in the way. So uh, if, if you have a situation like that where you can't hire a young person, well then we're missing a golden opportunity to show that 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 young person how fun it is to do what we do for a living. Um, and when you when you can engage that person younger, I think you have a lot better uh, chance of, of bringing them into an industry that so many so many of us or uh, uh, have been attracted to because of of the type of work that you do and the type of people in the business. So uh, the, I got way off topic there, but I started thinking, going off on thinking of the, the the issue we need to do, which is bringing more uh, people into it. If, uh, if we don't uh, bring more people into these turf programs, whether it be online, in your backyard, or across the country at – you know, the, at the, uh, the land grant of perfection, if we don't bring people in, we're going to be in a real pickle uh, before too long. And maybe more so in the uh, mechanics side of the whole mm-hmm. thing where we don't have – we really don't have anything. And, and it was so magnificent to see all this new autonomous technology uh, that's, that's coming out. And the first thing that I took away from it is,
0: who the hell is going to maintain it? Well, so and I, I mean, okay. and and a story uh, that's okay. coming out soon, uh, Nelson Karen at the Ford plantation, not too terribly far from you down in in Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually mentioned the same thing in a story about tech that's coming out in the March issue, and uh, he described it as mechanics won't necessarily be replaced with this position, but maybe they'll at least be supplemented by robotic fleet management. That's you know, that's something new. That's going to be on job boards soon, something in that vein, rather than just mechanics. Absolutely. But you're absolutely right.
1: Now, that's going to be a huge shift in that we're going to have to have an understanding of some circuitry and mechatronics that I'm not sure we're really training ourselves for. So we have a mechatronics program at our school that's just kicked off, and, and I'm already – those in our GSTM program are, are starting to wonder how we can um, how, how we're going to be able to cross connect our programs because if these mechanization uh, graduates uh, come out there, they may be the next, you know the, our, next, our next technicians on the golf course. Um, and they, just as uh, Nelson said, it may not be that we're worried about you know uh, 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 hoses and belts as much as we are, GPS uh, circuitry and, solenoids and, and other uh, scenarios and, and all of a sudden our staff size may shrink considerably but our, our education may expand exponentially that if we need instead of 25 guys, if we need nine, then all of a sudden it may be nine people that have a lot more education and are a lot more uh, cross-trained on all this new uh, this new knowledge that we haven't even prepared for yet i think how am i how are we going to as an educational institution serve this these autonomous mowers what do we have to do to prepare to take care of this stuff Uh, because i uh, there's not any mechanics programs in america and there's now we have a big curve on how we're going to keep up with all this um these these autonomous mowers sprayers and uh, range pickers, all these things that I'm seeing that I thought was going to be so far in the distance, and now all of a sudden it was here in February. Yep.
0: There's so much more that we could talk about, and this is why you've been in this for decades. It, it's impossible to boil it down into 25 or 30 or 35 minutes, Ashley. Um, so we will definitely have you back on at some point to talk more about uh, the turf education uh, corner of the market. But I'll leave you with one question, and take it any direction you want. Thank you so much for the time. Um, if you could change one thing, change or improve or or just kind of tweak any one thing in uh, turf education for students, what would it be?
1: Oh, if I could change, if I could change one thing in turf education, I will say this: the answer to this changes every few years, um, and so that makes educating the next generation like uh, throwing jello at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, we have the basic science that we have to study, turf science, soils. We need to study uh, plant physiology of some, uh, some capacity. We need to study uh, insect and insect biology, some pathology. Uh, so there's the basic core that we have to get into these the, the the students, but then we have to look at education and say, okay, now what what is is the soup of the day? And so when I was a young person, we were building courses like crazy, and we needed more and more education on the construction side of it, uh, the irrigation side, and that's I guess why I'm loosely considered good at that stuff because uh, you've done so much, but you studied so much. Um, And now the the evolution has changed, and we're getting more construction, but for years we were much slower, and we try to say, okay, let's really try to educate the students on the next thing we have to be ready for, which is going to be the environmental scenarios and situations, right? The the chemistry, safety, uh, the Audubon sanctuary scenarios, water, cleanliness, uh, being stewards of the game. Uh, uh, as well as understanding how to do more less, with less money. Now things are changing again, and so you say, I have to try to evolve and educate for the next area. A lot of what we do now and changing recently with our program is trying to uh, uh, get more uh, fiscal education uh, because it's the science is great, but the dollar is stretched so thin. Chemistry cost more than ever fertilizers aren't getting cheaper, we're, we're worried about raw goods coming to America now. If people don't think fertilizer comes from South America or Israel, then they're not paying attention. So our raw material to buy fertilizer due to this coronavirus may skyrocket soon. So, uh, and everything else, the chemistry is coming from China and all these other countries that are making our raw materials and sending them back to us for our golf courses. So, Understanding the dollars, we have to be ever vigilant as educators to, to try to change and upgrade. Um, the The difficulty is, uh, what do you think needs to be phased out? Uh, if you do that, so um, there's no real clear answer. And if I uh, if I had anything else, I would try to add uh, in in education. Would I? I guess just be personal mentorship uh, and soft skill management. That's There's a good one right now. If we want to talk about the soup of the day for us in education, we're really trying to make sure we talk about soft skills uh, scenarios as well, interview skills, uh, people skills. Uh, there's been a little – I'm not trying to talk about generational this or that, but maybe we've not been as good as some of the people skills we need to – I had a wonderful discussion when someone was talking about saying that if, if it takes more than four texts, it's a phone call, right? So these are things that we try to share that, you know, when, you're a, uh, when you graduate from here, the, you, are, you go out as a rock star. Every, we have 100% placement. The, the, every, there are, there's desperation for good talent in our business. I said, but here's the next problem, guys. What happens when you're a five, seven, nine year assistant and you're interviewing? Have you been preparing for that? Because once you leave here, it's probably going to be not the most difficult interview process. You may have worked for them already, or probably a friend of a friend, uh, someone that's vetted you through our, through calling professors or your own uh, mentors where you intern. Uh, but then when you want that soup's job, You know, Mr. Smith doesn't know you on the Green Committee, so what are you able to do in that uh, environment? So, a lot of what we're doing now is to try to really push fiscal and and uh, communication management for the young folks. So when they come out, uh, they can um, they can feel confident that they understand the dollars and cents that are being talked to. uh, but that each, each time we have, we'll have advisory committee meetings with uh, friends and alum of our, of our program, and, and they'll tell us what they think they want us to uh, make improvements and adjustments to. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting in the future of turfgrass education. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged by some of the online things. I, I would personally love to see it where your online education had to be partnered. Uh, by a, uh, a proctor of, hmm. of skill management that uh, graduating with a two degree in turf grass but never having worked on the golf course, that's uh, like going to med school but never having worked on a cadaver. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I don't want that individual. I want someone that if I say I need you to get a, a two-by-two-by-four-inch tee because we're going to fix this HTPE fusion problem over here, they know what that T is and what H D P E is. So I need I need to have the um, a, a broad range of skills when they get out and, and it's it's difficult. I'm sure every every professor that creates relationships with their students in the country feels the same that how can I how can I get more to them but at the end of the day it also sits on the student to say that uh, and what we what I tell them is guys all I've done is gotten you good enough to be dangerous. So go out get a good mentor and continue to be a sponge because you we've given you the a blueprint but you still don't know how to, to, to construct the house. You know, that's so uh go work for a guy that'll teach you the rest. So the best the biggest thing on education if I could say would be you have to have a great mentor. Find someone that's going to be your mentor uh, in, uh, in the world. And it doesn't have to be at the top 100 club because you've got a long career ahead of you. Find a mentor uh, and let, let that man or woman who mentors you uh, help maneuver your career for you. Because uh, if they're a good mentor and they care about you, then following your turf degree, following your education, are going to help facilitate your upward mobility in life because they take that upon themselves that they, uh, they want to be the person that helps bring the next generation up.
0: Sound advice. Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, Ashley Wilkinson, again, professor for golf course and sports turf management at Ori Georgetown Technical College right outside Myrtle Beach, Conway, South Carolina. If you haven't already, read Turf Education. Learning is universal, but education is personal. Ashley's quoted in there along with some other great, great educators. It's by Lee Carr in the February issue. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciated this.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me. I hope I didn't uh, ramble too much, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, what what uh, students need to be looking for and, and how we need to be looking for students.
0: And uh, good luck to those students on their next test as you try to just make them a little more dangerous.
1: I'll get up at 3.20 in the morning, so when we have to take a test at noon, I don't want to hear it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Uh,
1: uh, Thank you so much, and we'll look forward to talking to you again.
0: Our next guest on Beyond the Page, a familiar name and a familiar face to readers of the magazine, Matthew Wharton, superintendent at Carolina Golf Club outside Charlotte. Maybe you saw him at GIS in Orlando about, what, five weeks ago now. Maybe you saw him at the Carolina's GCSA show in Myrtle Beach uh, right before Thanksgiving. Or if you read the magazine, maybe you saw him on the back page where this past month, the February issue, he wrote about winter play from a mat, why not? And uh, not everybody's a fan of playing from mats, but uh, you made a compelling argument, Matthew, for why really folks should consider it, and even more so, uh, why they should make the practice. It's, I mean, if nothing else, it's good for the grass.
2: <laughs> well, it's good to be back on with you, Matt, and uh, no pun intended since we're discussing mats, but... Uh, this is beyond the page, so I'll take you a little deeper into the backstory. So the trip to St. Andrews was January of last year, 2019. I was headed over to BTME and had the good fortune to spend a couple of days on the front end with John Kiger of TurfNet, and we had the great opportunity to play around the golf on the old course with Gordon Moore, the retired director of greenkeeping of St. Andrew's Lynx Trust, and his neighbor, Alec. And in the winter months, uh, mats are in play, not just on the old course, but on most Lynx courses uh, over in the UK. Uh, I do recall seeing a sign from the road of one course we passed that, that did advertise no mats, and I'm sure that's uh, to entice folks like us that might be over there traveling. but uh, And this, is, uh, this practice has been used for some years over there now, and I know the RNA employs it at the Open Championship venues. They'll use mats all the way up to the beginning of the championship because they want the golf courses to be in the best possible condition. And um, I read... Many years ago, and when I say many, I'm, I'm I know it's been at least ten years ago. Uh, Patrick O'Brien, who is now retired from the USGA Green Section, he and Chris Hartwiger had been over to Scotland, played around the golf where mats were required, and they wrote a little blurb about it. Uh, so when I experienced this the first time, uh, and uh, let me back up, Not, I don't mean to say I experienced this, I actually wrote about this one other time prior and that was a year ago on my blog so if anybody follows my blog they might see some commonalities with, with the column and when I was writing the blog I was really hoping to um, I wanted to put a link to that original piece from Patrick O'Brien and Chris Hartbeger, but unfortunately uh, the efforts to locate it on the web was we weren't able to do so in a timely fashion, but that's neither here nor there. But again, so, you know, you're headed over to play St. Andrews for the first time in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, really? I'm going to have to play off a mat. Doesn't sound very appealing, but as I said in the column, it did not cheapen my experience in any way. It, and since you're only really using it for full shots from the fairway, there wasn't that many shots that I played off the mat. I mean, you played the ball as it lies if you drove it in the rough. If you were in a bunker, you're in a bunker. And then if you were putting from off the, off the green, you, you, could just, you could putt. You didn't have to use the mat. So I didn't even hit that many shots total off of the mat. Gordon and Alec were very proficient, and uh, I struggled a little bit at first. But we had an extremely wet winter here in the Carolinas last year, and we're having another one this year. right the two of the wettest winters we've had on record back-to-back. And, you know, with dormant Bermuda grass, there probably isn't anything else I can think of that is just the worst for having to try to play a golf shot off of. Saturated dormant Bermuda grass is just a is a horrible condition to have to try to play a golf shot, and I got to thinking. So, well, you know, why not? What if what if these guys were taking mats with them, and that way they could avoid that that dreaded fat shot? And what happens after a couple of fat shots comes the thin shot because you overcompensate for the first one, uh, and then of course you know Bermuda grass is dormant, so the divots don't don't heal in the winter months so if you're off a mat you um you wouldn't be taking divots so all of that would translate to you know maybe a little bit of ease getting around the golf course in the in the worst of winter conditions and simultaneously benefiting the turf that would help in the spring which was the whole purpose of this article you know what are what are some practices that uh, if you employed over the winter months might translate into better spring conditions so that's kind of why I sort of recirculated the mad idea. But I mean, let's be real in the U S <laughs> that's just not going to be appealing to any, any golfer in the U S, uh, despite the fact that it, you know, it has some merits and, and granted, if you are in a, you know, in the Carolinas, we are year round for handicap purposes, posting scores, um, now, when I grew up in Virginia, I know in Virginia, December, January, and February were not part of the uh, posting month, So, I, you know, I don't know how you would get around trying to post a score for handicap purposes if you used a mat. I mean, that's that's something for your regional golf associations and the USGA to work out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's got its place. And then, if all you're really wanting to do is, you know, have a walk around nine or 18 holes and, hit the ball around and have a little fun and don't want to get all frustrated and don't want to get mud in your face, then, you know, take a little piece of turf with you.
0: I mean, they're all good things. And it's it's funny, because in the February issue, six pages before your back page column, uh, John Torciello had a story that it was almost as if you had read this and said, now, wait a minute, there's one thing you forgot. He wrote a story for the magazine uh, titled Greening Up, are your golfers or owners anxious to get back on the course after a quiet winter? We asked around for top advice on how to best prepare for the spring. And, I mean, it is a long-term solution, but I feel like just if you can get folks to buy in on playing off of a mat for a little bit, there aren't many ways better to green up for the spring than to make sure you've got the healthy turf through the entire winter. And this this just plays into that, I think, Right.
2: That's correct because you know on our golf course the areas where the traffic is the most intense, whether that's cart traffic or you know real intense uh, high concentration of foot traffic on certain uh, tee boxes, those are the areas that are the last to green up. So you know the majority of our play is probably from our blue tees and the center of them will always be the last to green up. It just delays green up. So if if the golfers are taking these little mats with them over the course of the winter months and that's prohibiting them from, you know, taking divots and removing the turf, then yes, that canopy will, will green up quicker uh, and they'll have better conditions in the spring. But but you're right, getting, getting golfers in the U.S. to buy into something like that is, would be a, it's going to be a very – it's an uphill climb, a major uphill climb. Uh, and my whole thought was uh, this is not something that I would ever want to say, okay, I'm going to require that this is what you do. This is a requirement. I would just – I was more of the mindset like, hey, what's it hurt if a handful of guys want to do it on their own? Primarily, the, we've got a pretty uh, regular group of senior men that play most weekday mornings, uh, and they'll play in all weather, all winter long. And you know, I probably spend more time watching golf. Out, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't play anywhere near enough, but I watch a lot of golf. I, I you know, I can tell you if it's you from three hundred, four hundred yards away because I recognize your swing. And I see these guys struggling, and I'm just like, you know, if they would just say, what the heck, give it a try, I think they would have a little more fun and then probably, it would probably pick up, you know. Word of mouth advertising.
0: (laughs) And you wrote in the column and you mentioned on the podcast that you saw this at St. Andrews, and if it's good enough for St. Andrews, who is it not good enough for? Have you talked with anybody else around the country, any other superintendents or directors who have had any luck with, at least suggesting to some members or some players, "Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you at least try this during the winter months?"
2: I have not, and to be honest with you, I'm not even aware if anyone in the U.S. has thought of it or tried to implement it. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure somebody probably has, but if so, I'm just unaware of it. And um, like I said, the, the the practice is it's pretty common and widespread in the uk uh throughout most of the links courses and that's just because those fescue grasses aren't growing in the winter months and therefore uh, you know no divots being removed and keeps the conditions much more playable and much more enjoyable and helps with the turf conditions come spring Uh, but again like i said you know I, i do recall there being a sign that you know some some courses were we're, we're advertising no mats. So um, I think it's kind of similar to, you know, some courses go on temporary greens in the winter and some do not. And it's, it's, all, it's all about marketing and, and, and the mindset of, uh, you know, if you play here, you're, you're going to get the truest experience versus something that's lesser because of the inconvenience of either a temporary green or a mat, et cetera. But like I said, um, I never had the opportunity to go back to the old course again in my life. There is nothing about my experience there that was cheapened in any way. Um, What a special place
0: and what a special day. Now, before I let you go, this is the second time you've been on Beyond the Page, and I think I've talked with you on now three different podcasts. These are not the only podcasts you've been on. You've been on a few other really good industry podcasts as well, and you mentioned right before we started recording that now you're listening, you hadn't listened to podcasts at all at this time about a year or so ago, and now you subscribe to 9 or 10. What are you listening to these days? What's filling up your ears? Well,
2: I'm, I'm just a golf nerd at heart, and, you know, probably my favorite is Connor Lewis's Talking Golf History. Yep. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Obviously, I listen to Pulling Weeds, which is our Carolinas chapter.
0: Fantastic podcast.
2: show. Uh, the new Get a Grip with Shane Bacon and Max Homa is awesome. Um, I'm becoming a big Max Homa fan by the week, um, both on and off the golf course. And um, he still hasn't reviewed my swing on Twitter, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with him for ducking me on that, but we'll get past that. Uh, and then, you know, the Curtis Terrell's course reports was, was, was a big favorite of mine. I'm certainly hoping that he manages to revive that this coming season. Uh, I think that was a great podcast last year. And uh, that Talking Golf Network of podcasts out of Australia, you've got the Good Good Podcast, the State of the Game, with uh, Michael Clayton and Jeff Shackelford, hosted by Rod Morey. That's always a great conversation. So, I mean, yeah, I'm just a golf nerd.
0: Any podcasts outside of the game?
2: Not yet.
0: Not yet. Well, maybe in 2020. Maybe you'll adopt one or two. I don't know. I'm not trying to get you to go outside of golf, but maybe in 2020. You never know. (laughs) Well, as always, Matthew Wharton, the superintendent at Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte, the back page columnist for GCI, and uh, until about three months ago, the uh, president of the Carolinas, GCSA. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for taking the time.
2: Oh, it's
0: my pleasure, Matt. Thank you. You
2: have a great day.
1: A Little bit sleep deprived, so it maybe creates. <laughs> <laughs> we had a beer for 320 the last two Oh,
0: <laughs> I thought I got up early. No, sir. <laughs>